As we kind of wrap up this week and next, our time in Ecclesiastes, if you've been with us now, uh, we just have this week and then next week. Um, this week, in the end of chapter, t- or the middle of chapter 12, the teacher in Ecclesiastes does this call back to the very beginning of everything. He calls back to Genesis. He calls back to the beginning of the Bible, where in the beginning there's God. A creator God who creates the heavens, who creates the earth, who separates light from dark, who creates the planets, who then creates earth and separates the sky from the waters, from the land, creates animals, creates vegetation, and then has his special creation of mankind. And as God creates mankind in Genesis 2-7, it says this, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So there's this picture of when God makes man, that as he's giving man his form, he takes the dust from the ground, where for most of us, when we're creating something, dust would not be our go-to to make something that lasts and is good. But God takes the dust of the ground to give man his form. And I don't know, I wasn't there. I don't think any of us were. Um, But my guess is that that Adam fully had his form, and and, and even internal, internal organs, his brain, everything, his heart, but that he was not alive yet when God gave him his form from the dust. Because then the next part, when God comes up and close to Adam and breathes, and breathes his own life, the breath of life, into Adam. That's when he becomes a living being. That word for breath of life there can also um, be translated as spirit as well, that God breathes spirit into Adam. And that's when he becomes truly alive. We're formed from dust, and we're given life by God through him breathing spirit into us. In our, in our passage today, the teacher in Ecclesiastes calls back to this and ultimately says, you were created from dust, but your body will return to the dust one day. And you were given spirit, but ultimately that spirit you were given will return to God one day as well, who gave it to you. The question for us then today as Ecclesiastes has been very clear that our life is but a vapor. It's here one day and then gone the next. That good things and hard things even can be here one second and gone the next. That, that, that life is a vapor, right? Always trying to get, grasp after, after something that feels like it's always just a little bit out of reach. That's at least this teacher's perspective on how life works. But here, the question for us is, are we simply trying to preserve the dust in our life? Or do we live with the knowledge and the hope that we've been given spirit from God that one day will return to him? I'll read our passage for us, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7. Please, if you have your Bibles, flip there with me. And I'm reading out of the NIV, and I believe it's on the screen as well. 11.7. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. 
However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless or vanity. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint. When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about their streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. I don't know about you, but I need God's help, so let's pray. God, we want to see who you are through this text. And Lord, uh, even as we just read this at first glance, there may be things that jump out to us, things like youth or days of darkness or death. And God, in this, we want to look to you. As the passage says, we want to remember our Creator. We want to remember you, God, and seek you out in this. Lord, would you help us as we look at life and we look at what we're trying to preserve, whether it be dust or spirit, and have you, God, work in us how more and more you're drawing us to yourself, all parts of us, our very being. And Lord, would we be encouraged, even in the midst of talking through growing old and dying someday, that you are a God who keeps his promises and you are with us now and forevermore. Would you help me by your spirit, God, to teach this correctly to be beneficial to the body here and to be an encouragement and also for it to be a challenge to, for us to have to trust in you more. In your name, amen. So let's start at verses 7 and 8 here. So 7 and 8 again. Let's look in, in chapter 11. Light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all, but let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many Everything to come is meaningless. So it's talking first about light is sweet to the eyes, and it's, it's pleasing to see the sun, like no matter how many days you have. So pretty much what the teacher is saying here is the longer you live, the more opportunities you have to enjoy what God has given us, to enjoy his creation, to enjoy the gifts of God. 
And Ecclesiastes has been clear, too, that we should receive good things. There are good things in this life. It isn't all just vapor and smoke. There are good things from the Lord that he's given us to enjoy. Relationships with people, creation, a good meal, a good drink, a smile, something that's funny, something that we should enjoy, company, community, whatever it might be, God has given us gifts to enjoy them, enjoy them and to enjoy him through them as well. And here the teacher is saying the longer you live, the more opportunity you have to enjoy these gifts from God. For some of us, that may look like the longer that we live, the more opportunities that, that we have to grow deeper in relationships with people, in friendships. Some of you here probably have friendships that are 20, 30, 40 years in the making, and that is a beautiful thing. For those of us who get married, the longer that we're married, the more that we get to enjoy our spouse and seeing who God has made them to be and see then in turn how God's using them to grow us as well. We get to enjoy those times and those sweet memories of when we first got engaged, when we first dated, and then now are having kids, and then someday have grandkids or great-grandkids even. Those are gifts from the Lord for us to enjoy. For some of us, it'll be the longer that we live, the more of God's creation we can see through travel or even just finally stopping on a walk to notice how beautiful Mount Hood is for the first time. Or to walk down Forest Home when inevitably it'll probably get closed again at some point. Uh, when the leaves are starting to change, right, and, and the colors in fall, and then spring comes, and just recognizing in Camas here, in Vancouver, in Washougal, we live in a beautiful place. Sometimes through travel, we'll get to go to amazing places of God's creation and enjoy more of his gifts in new and full ways. We also can see people, the longer that we live, be transformed by God. I have some of my closest friends that when we started hanging out in middle school, I never would have guessed that we'd still be hanging out today for one and that we'd both be following Jesus. And our, our relationship would be even deeper than it was when we were playing video games. Crazy, right? But somehow God did that. We get to see family members, kids, spouses, friends, people in our workplaces, we get to see God work in them. And the longer we live, the more beautiful and beautiful that becomes to us. But Ecclesiastes, while it says there is goodness in this life, there are gifts from God, it also holds the sober reality that life is not filled with goodness completely. That we are in a broken world. And as this text says, that there will be days of darkness. And in turn, that there will be many of them. Ultimately, what the teacher is also saying is the longer we live, the older we get, the more hardships we will face as well. Some of those friendships will grow apart, sometimes even with family, even with our own kids. Those will be hardships that we face. We'll have financial struggles. We'll go through being laid off in our jobs or, or, or companies folding or at times we'll be wrestling with anxiety and have seasons of depression. We'll have people in our lives who walk away from Jesus, people that were even our mentors, people that we looked up to and loved. We'll experience physical ailments, 
our own bodies shutting down as this passage gets into later on, and even the death of loved ones, people close to us that then no longer are on this earth. The teacher wants us to experience the goodness of God and wants us to receive it as a gift, but he also wants us to hold it with the realization that things won't always in every season be good, that there will be hardships, there will be days of darkness. In Ecclesiastes, he's often talked about the vexations, the frustrations, the annoyances, the hardships of this life and why everything feels like it's vanity or meaningless, or like grasping after smoke. Simply doing whatever makes us happy in this life can't be the answer. Because we will face hardships. We will face days of darkness. And when those days of darkness, when those hardships come, they're times that reveal where our hope truly has been. And sometimes that can be a scary and humbling thing. Two weeks ago, Greg, um, as he walked through the beginning of chapter 11, he talked about as we get older, we have this desire for comfort more and more. And that it's kind of like a needed thing, right? Like, I'm not old. I know. A lot of you laugh even when I say the word old because you're like, you don't know nothing, Matt. Um, I'm 28, right? And I used to be able to stay up all night. We had youth group all-nighters, and I loved it. And then I turned 22, and I was like, we're going to have youth group overnighters because <laughs> we will sleep at some point. I can't stay up all night with you guys, right? As we get older, there is some comfort that we need, and we desire it because our bodies just can't do it anymore. But with that, Greg also said, we can't be fooled into thinking as we get older sp- spiritually that we'll, we get to be comfortable in that regard as well. That as we get older spiritually, we just get to at some point kind of go through the motions or that God will take it easy on us because we've been through so much. That actually what the teacher would say here is we'll be spiritually tested more and more as we get older. But what's beautiful with God is that the days of darkness, the hardships that we will face, the seasons that feel like they're empty are not wasted or simply vanity because when we look to God, he uses it for good. Hebrews 12, 10 and 11 speak to this reality and it starts off talking about how our earthly fathers or whoever raised us, they disciplined us for our good. And then it dives in saying this, For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. That's our earthly fathers. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we might share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The seasons of darkness, of hardships that God either allows or even wills is for our good. It's for our good to see where our hope truly is. And the longer we cling to him and the more that we trust in him, this passage says that even though we don't enjoy discipline, we don't enjoy hardship, we don't enjoy these days of darkness, those that are trained by it, become more and more like Jesus, become more and more like God. It even uses the word holy 
and that it yields a peace, a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There are people in my life that have, that have um, they're older than I am. They've experienced more than I, than I have. And when I watch how they live through the seasons of hardship and darkness, I look at how I would respond and I'd freak out. Like, how could, I, how could I go through that thing right now? That would be crazy to endure that. What would I do? And I get, like, anxious on their behalf just thinking about what they're going through. But yet, because their hope and their trust has been in God and is in God, there's this peace about them. As they walk through terrible things, there's this trust that they have that God is still good and he's ever-present with them in the midst of it. And that should be an encouragement to all of us. Even right now, if you're going through a season of hardship or darkness, God is not far off. He's not abandoned you. He wants you to look to him so that he can produce a peace of walking with him just as Jesus did. A peace in those seasons where the days feel dark. Verses 9 and 10. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know, for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless. There's a guy who I had to look up because I have no idea who he is. But his name is Bernard Shaw. And he was a playwright and theater critic who was quoted saying, Youth is the most beautiful thing in this world. And what a pity that it is wasted on children. Good thing they're not in the room, right? Um, <laughs> but I had heard the quote kind of, and maybe you've heard it too, where it's youth is wasted on the young, right? A lot of people have said that over, over the years. And this section here in Ecclesiastes is really geared towards those who still have youth. And just because the middle schoolers and high schoolers are out of the room, that does not mean that he's not still talking to us. You may not be as young as you once were, but there's many of us in this room that still are in our youth, still have youth, or are raising youth in our homes as well. And it's interesting when the passage, when the teacher here says, hey, like, Follow your heart, pretty much. Follow whatever your eyes see. Be happy in your youth. It actually sounds a lot like our culture, right? Do whatever makes you happy. Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. You can be whatever you want to be. Everybody gets a prize. Or back in like 2008, 2009, YOLO, you only live once. Now that's like a dated thing as well. Like you only got one life, so live it up. That sounds like what the teacher is saying, and it sounds a lot like our culture as well, which could be confusing. But the truth is here, the teacher is saying there are advantages to being young. There are things that we can enjoy when we're younger that as we get older, he sees it, that it's harder to enjoy those things. A lot of the time, it's because we have less obligations when we're young. We have less require what's required of us when we're young, is less. 
We have less things weighing us down and probably seen less days of darkness as well. We've had less hardships, less troubles. Now, there are some youth that have gone through some crazy amounts of pain at a young age. But also, he says, the older we get, it doesn't get easier. And there will be more hardships. So the teacher's saying there's an advantage to being young and enjoy that season of life that you have where your body is youthful. It's not breaking down. And enjoy those things. Follow what your heart wants. Follow what your eyes see. But the thing that he throws in there that our culture does not say is, and know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Know whatever your heart follows, whatever your eyes see, whatever you run after to make you happy, that one day you will stand before God and give an account for your life and why you chose to watch that show, why you chose to date that guy or that girl, why you chose that group of people that you knew wasn't good for you, why you chose to put off these things and instead brace these, embrace these. I am still young, as even as I said the word old, and some of you looked at me funny. Uh, I'm still young, but when I was younger, I made some of the worst decisions um, that I've ever made in my life, from like 16 to 21. And I still carry like a lot of the consequences for those things today, for those decisions. I, I was a liar. I was a cheater. I was self-absorbed and self-centered. I used people as a platform for, uh, for my own elevation, uh, either in being mean or in making fun of people to lift myself up. I slept around. I lived for getting drunk on the weekend, all under the banner of enjoying my youth, of living it up. And my guess is there's, there's multiple people in this room that can relate to that season of life before we started following Jesus. Or maybe you're in the midst of that season right now and trying to make those things work and trying to find meaning in the midst of it. But when I lived that way, it never felt like I had arrived. It never felt like, like Ecclesiastes says, it never felt like finally I found fulfillment it still felt like I was chasing after wind. And I would enjoy some of those things, and I'd have fun during some of those times. But at the end of the day, there was still this emptiness that I felt. There were still those questions of, is there more to life than this? Is there more to life than getting my paycheck and then spending it on 30 rack after 30 rack of beer? Gosh, I hope so. And I was empty. I was so empty. And many of us here, we don't want the youth to make the same mistakes that we did. That's something God's put in my heart and why I first started working out, uh, working out, no, working with, I don't do that. Uh, <laughs> he's still got to work on me for that one. Um, why I started working with youth, because I was like, gosh, I want them to follow God earlier. And that's really what the teacher is saying here, because what I didn't realize when I was young, what wasn't in my mind was, as I'm doing this thing, one day I'm going to stand before a living and holy God and give account for it. 
that as I ultimately choose my own way instead of his, one day I will stand before him. And the God that loved me, the God that created me, the God that knit me together in my mother's womb, the God that had purpose and value on my life, the God that breathed life into me, I'll stand before him and say, yeah, God, I actually thought my, my ideas were better than yours. In that season, I did not think through that when I was 18, 19, 20. And I wonder whether we're youthful or not in this room if we still need to think through that. That every decision we make has eternal weight. That every word we speak, every decision we make, we stand before God with that and give account for how we lived. Anything good we experience in this life ultimately is a gift from our creator, is a gift from God, and we should enjoy those gifts, but we can't get hung up on the gifts being the end-all, end be-all, and not God being the end-all, be-all. If we try to enjoy the gifts without the creator, those are what we call idols. Those are what we call vices that lead us away from God. Uh, in 12.1 of this passage, the, the teacher doesn't say, hey, don't do what I did, but instead his encouragement to the youth is remember God. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. He sees it to be so beneficial that the younger that we are, when we respond to God, when we put our trust in God, the better it is for us in the long haul. The less hardships, the less consequences we face because of our youthful decisions. It says, trust in him now and then actually enjoy God so that when the days of hardship come, when there are the days of darkness, we actually have a firm foundation to stand on. We have a hope. We have, we have confidence that God is who he says he is. Instead of coming across those days of dark, darkness and being like, what the heck is going on? and our life spiraling out of control. It is beneficial for us to remember God when we're young. Or if in your, you're in this room and you're like, shoot, well, that's too late for me. Remember God now. As this passage says later, remember him before we die. Look to him now. Don't put it off. A couple years ago, um, I got a ticket. Bummer. Um, my tabs were expired by four months, and uh, it's not that bad, geez. Um, my tabs were expired for four months, so uh, it was during a season of life, though. Um, I was engaged, and we were planning a wedding, and then got married, and then went on our honeymoon, and then moved into our new apartment, and just all this stuff was happening. And so, of course, I loved my wife so much, I forgot to renew my tabs, guys. Um, but I got a ticket, nonetheless. The officer didn't want to hear it. Um, so I get this ticket, and I'm like, I'm going to fight this thing. Like, I'm going to just be like the, the, the young, you know, like newly married guy. Because being newly married, you use that. That first, like, five years, you're married. Uh, to get free stuff and get off the hook for things. Oh, I forgot. I'm newly married. Um, so I'm like, I'm going to go to the judge and fight this thing to either get it reduced or to get it wiped out completely. Uh, hadn't been to traffic court before. And uh, so you get this number, 
None of you probably have ever messed up like me. Um, you get a number, for those of you who haven't experienced this, and you go to a room, and it's kind of set up like what you see on TV. There's just like less witnesses because they're not paid to be there. Uh, and there is a judge there. And then everybody else that got busted with you, we each have our numbers, and it was busted either like on the same day or same area kind of thing. And then one by one, they call your number, and you go before the judge, and you're standing like out as everyone's watching you. You're the only, only besides the bailiff, the only other person standing in the room. So all all eyes are on you. So the, I watch one by one as people do this, and I've got this good story. I've, you know, I'm going to do the newly married thing. So then my number gets called, and I, I go up before the judge, and the judge says, so, Mr. Eldridge, it looks like your tabs were four months expired, um, and that is, you know, that's going to be a fine, but since you showed up today, we'll reduce it $30 or whatever it was, and um, don't do this again, and you'll be on your way. And I wanted to say something in return, but as she looked at me with her glasses like low over the top of the, her glasses, like, you're not going to do this again, I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and just leave the room with my little reduction, right? Any reason that I have for putting off getting my tabs renewed was gone out the window when I was looking at this judge. How much more so when we stand before God? And we say, God, actually, I was just waiting to follow you later in life. I didn't know I was going to die so early. God, after I lived, up, lived it up in college, that was when I was going to trust in you. God, I was going to love my brother or sister and not just treat them as an enemy later. I didn't know that they would leave this world before I could do that. God, I this. God, I that. That's my reasons. When we stand before a holy God, how much more will all our excuses, all our reasons, all our sob stories be so pitily? will hold no weight because he's the God who knows us, who created us, and wants our hearts. And now he doesn't want our excuses. The teacher is encouraging us to not put off responding to God, but to respond to him now. And it's better to respond to him in our youth. Then he goes into um, one of the ways that we can truly enjoy God now as well with the life that he's given us. He says that we need to banish anxiety or banish vexations from our hearts in verse 10 and cast off the troubles of our body. And we could have a whole sermon just talking about anxiety, talking about frustrations, and how hard that is for some of us here, how the, those are seasons and those, those are states that we are in that just, it's hard for us to enjoy life, period, but it's also in, hard for us to enjoy God. And here, specifically, the teacher is saying that your youth is here one second and gone the next. Don't waste your time being anxious or being frustrated or annoyed with things that will seem so small later on in life. So he says, banish anxiety from your hearts. Where if you're somebody that deals with anxiety, you hear that as, hey, you're anxious? Don't be anxious. And then you get anxious, right? Like, ah, that's not very helpful, man. <laughs> you could have written that differently. And really what he's not doing here is giving us the how-to, right? He doesn't give us the how-to deal with our anxiety. He just says, from what I've seen, this wastes someone's youth. 
They waste so much time being so worried or so fearful. They waste their time being frustrated of all these things that they don't have control over. They waste their time being annoyed with all these people or circumstances that they could have moved on from. Banish anxiety from your heart. And what I will say about anxiety here, since we don't have a ton of time to dive into it, is that I believe anxiety always has an overlap with trust, confidence, and faith. That any of the things that we could be anxious or frustrated about ultimately boil down to, God, do I trust you with this? Do I have confidence in who you are and what you say is true? And do I have the faith, even though I don't feel like I'm in a good spot right now, that I'm not in the right mindset, that I'm reeked with just anxiousness and worry, I have faith in who you say you are and that you will not leave me this way forever. In 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Banishing, casting anxieties on God because he cares for you. Anxiety can waste our youth, but a better reason to banish it is because God cares for you. God wants you to cast those things on him, to trust him with whatever it is that's keeping you up at night. Whatever it is that makes it hard to breathe in the midst of the day, he wants you to call upon him so that you might have confidence in him. Just the other night, uh, two nights ago actually, uh, we've, there's just been some hard stuff with summer camps this year of just um, things falling through. And yeah, I woke up at four in the morning and had one of those, I don't wrestle with anxiety a ton, but just had one of those, <gasps> where I'm trying in, at four in the morning to figure out and fix all the things that feel wrong and off and hard right now. And it feels all-consuming when that happens to us. But then I remembered this text that said, banish, since I was preaching on it in two days, banish anxiety from your heart. I can't do that on my own. And so I prayed. I was like, God, would you help me to trust you with this? Would you help me to remember that you're good in every camp that we've gone to before? You've done something amazing in, and you've had it all come together in just its right way. And after a time of praying, I was able to fall back asleep. I know that's not for everyone in the sense of um, that it's just that quick and you're over it that easy, but I would say prayer, putting our worries before God is the best way to help banish that anxiety for the heart, for him to do all the heavy lifting in it, and for us to trust in him. Greg read this earlier, but in Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, whether it be anxiety or other days of darkness that we face. God says, approach me confidently. 
Approach me with faith. Approach me with hope. Because Jesus, our great high priest, he went through it too. Any weakness, any fear, any doubt that we face, he embodied as a man and took on himself so that we might know as we approach to God, he's not a God who can't empathize with us, but he understands our weakness fully and knows what we need in it and instead gives us grace, gives us what we don't deserve, gives us goodness and life and love and hope so that we can continue to approach him with confidence in our time of need. In verses 12, 1 through 8, as I was reading it earlier, that's that section where it's like talking about a grasshopper and then it's talking about an almond tree and it's talking about things stooping and looking through windows and it's probably like, what the heck is going on here? And the first time I read this, I did not know what it meant. And the 10th time I read this, I did not know what it meant. Um, and it's funny because I was actually assigned this, that passage, uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8, for a conference, Greg, and I went to a couple years ago. And you had to uh, come up with a sermon outline of how you'd preach it and then present it to these other pastors. And it wasn't people I knew. There were these guys from Chicago and Illinois and like all, the, all, this, all these other places when we went there. And so then I get the text, and I'm like, Greg, what'd you get? And he's like, oh, yeah, these two and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, mine's, what the heck did they give me? And he's like, yeah, dude, that sucks. <laughs> um, and so I, like, I read this over and over and over again, and I was like, I don't know what's going on here, Lord. Uh, so then there's this great thing called commentaries. Um, so then through reading several commentaries, right, and through some other guys in that group that, that also had that text, like came to a better understanding of what was actually going on here. And what's cool is this is actually kind of like a, a renowned um, poem in the writing world as ha having some of the best poetic imagery when it comes to aging and growing old. Let me just give you an example. So look at verse 2 with me. In chapter 12, it says, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, and the cloud returns after the rain. So this whole premise is under remembering your creator, Right? So it says, remember him before everything grows dark. So kind of in those days of darkness, like, like the teacher has been talking about, and before the clouds return after rain. So he's pretty much just describing the Northwest. It starts raining, it stops, and there's more clouds so it can rain again, right? Or, or maybe this is the Eeyore syndrome of just a black rain cloud over your head at all times that trouble after trouble seems to be happening in your life. That it's just one thing after another. So I'm going to read this section to us again, but I kind of took out the poetic imagery. All the writers in the room are very frustrated um, with me for this, but I wanted to put in the meaning instead of explaining it as we go so you could hear this poem in what the teacher is saying. It starts, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before you are in the days of darkness and trouble after trouble is upon you, when your arms tremble and when your legs stoop, when your teeth are few and it's hard to chew and your eyes are giving out, when your hearing goes away and the everyday buzz in the streets grows faint, when it becomes hard to sleep and your vo vocal cords fail, 
when your desire subsides and you no longer take risks, when your hair turns white and you drag yourself along, no longer having the same passion for life because you know it will end soon, then you will die and people will mourn your death. In verse 6, it says, Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel at the well is broken. And the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Each of those things, the bowl or the cord or the wheel or whatever it might be, it's talking about the end of this thing, this thing being destroyed, broken to the point of no repair. And the teacher is saying, remember God before that's you, before your life comes to an end. And the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes is unafraid to make us grapple with death. No matter if we're young and death feels far off and something that we don't like to think about, or if we're older, and more and more, death feels like a reality that's now entering our life. The teacher wants us to wrestle with these things because when we have an appropriate relationship and knowledge of death, that changes how we live and how we enjoy life with God now. But even if uh, I read that poem to us and it talks about this breakdown of the body, some of you in this room might be experiencing some of those things, feeling yourself grow weaker and more tired, that youth feels like a, a distant memory. And my guess is, with some of these harsh realities at times, you can grow anxious, fearful, have doubt, you're just in pain physically, but also mentally and emotionally because of these things. And you could even be losing hope because everything just seems like it's coming to this stop. My mom uh, was diagnosed with Parkinson's a couple years ago. And I'll never forget that day. Uh, I was in this room. We were getting ready to leave for our winter retreat. And then at like noon or one, my mom called me and we knew something was up and she, she had finally heard back from the doctors of what was actually going on. And that day, uh, death meant something new. Um, my mom getting old became a reality and her quality of life was not gonna be the same. There's natural old age and progression of that. It's another thing when it feels like even that's being robbed from somebody and being taken. But the thing in the last couple of years that I've seen in my mom that has been so beautiful is that my mom trusted in Jesus when she was young. She had a hard upbringing and didn't follow God for many years, but I think when she was in late middle school, early high school, is when she fell on her face before God and said, I need you, and I'm putting my trust and hope in you. And now... As it's clear, her exterior is returning to dust. As her quality of life gets harder, her spirit is only strengthened because of her long relationship with Jesus. Whereas my mom knows that she's not going to be able to do all the same things that she once did, 
it's encouraged her all the more to live for God now. To not waste her time on this planet where she gets to love youth, where she gets to go to camp. She's in her 60s, and she's going to ETV this summer. She's crazy. She doesn't want to waste any time that she has. She's going to Tibet in a couple months on a missions trip. Uh, and she continues to see life as a gift from God. And she can't wait to be with her creator one day. She can't wait to be rid of the pain and the breakdown of her body. But she's not going to waste the time that she has now. Because the life that God has given us is a gift. And when we enjoy it with him and for him, it is a beautiful thing to witness. And the screen just got blurry. Uh, but my question then to us is young people in the room, what kind of older person do you want to be? How do you want to live for God when you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s? Because how you live right here and now is going to impact what your faith is like down the road. What if we lived now for the kind of grandparents we want to be? What if we live now for the kind of how, how, how we end, how we finish the race? We're living for those things now. Anyone that trains for a race doesn't just think about the first 10 steps. They think about how they're going to run through the finish line. That's what they're visualizing. Young people, what would it look like to say, God, I will trust in you now. I will lay my anxieties before you. My hopes, my wants, my dreams are nothing apart from you. Older people, what kind of older people are you? Are you the kind of people where the young people can look at and see that is someone who loves Jesus? That is someone that even in the seasons of hardship and darkness, while it's, it's painful, they have peace. What kind of legacy of Christ are you leaving for our youth? Or are you the kind of old person that you didn't like when you were young that feels irritable and frustrated that people just don't understand how good it used to be? But instead, someone that just exudes Jesus and sees your time and your life as a gift that you don't want to waste. There's many people in this church that I've seen go through hard seasons that are older. Pastor Gary with his Parkinson's. Cloyce in Geneva Batten as Cloyce was in the hospital for weeks. Tammy and Dan Britt were just riddled with, with weakness and illnesses in their bodies. Don and Liberta May, after going through this car accident most recently, and the beautiful example that they've been to me is through it all, I've heard them talk about Jesus and want others through their suffering to know how good God is, to know how sure he is, and how confident they are that he is with them. Our bodies will return to dust, and our spirits will return to the Lord. And when we stand before him, will we be having all these excuses and sob stories of why we didn't live for him? Or will he look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
We don't live according to our dusty exteriors that are fading away, but we live according to the Spirit of God who's in us. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. I want to end reading Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 for us before we go into prayer. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In that time, the best time to respond to God, to remember him, is now. To approach his throne of grace and be met by love to be met by a God who created us and wants us to enjoy life with him now and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you knew, God. You knew the things that we would choose other than you, and you know currently, Lord, where we have a hard time trusting you and putting our hope in you. And God, even today, you call us to yourself to remember you, to look to you. And God, I pray specifically for the young people in the room and for our middle schoolers and high schoolers outside that they would remember you now. They would look to you now before they bring hardship upon hardship upon themselves and that life deals it to them as well. Would they receive your discipline, God, as good as you draw them to yourself? And God, would we want to be a people that don't waste our life, that instead commit it to you for you to use us how you would want to use us. And God, I pray for those that are in a season right now where it feels like they're in the days of darkness, where there's those close to them that are in the midst of that. God, that you would comfort them as they draw near to you and you would give them hope. In your name, amen.